Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. been hearing the rumblings about the 1619 project in the New York Times series of uh, articles and stuff like that. Nah, it's just kind of I just thought I can I can feel the heat sometimes from a story and I decide, you know what? I'm not ready to wade into that yet. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to, but I'm just not ready for it. Yet. Yeah, anyway. I've read some of it, but it's uh, it's come down upon me now. And according to the uh, the editor of the New York Times, the executive editor, he signaled that the New York Times is going to pivot from Russia coverage you know why? <laughs> Going to pivot from Russia coverage to focusing on race in the run-up to the 2020 election. Oh, good. Because the Russia coverage wasn't working for Putin Trump out, so they thought maybe race and painting him as a racist would. Right. But the Times also declared it, quote, aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding, and placing the consequences of slavery and the con- contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Unquote. 1619 being the date of when uh, first started slipping sh- slaves to North America. That's our true founding. And some of the things that have been said during the uh, the the 
Um, conversation about this in the 1619 Project have been quite controversial. I would say, and they are not uh, restricted to that uh, journalism project either. You hear it all the time. It's taught in all the colleges and high schools of America. Uh, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Tim the Lawyer, uh, author of a number of tomes, including Frederick Douglass' Self-Made Man in a brand new book that I'm sure he'll tell us about, uh, joins us now. Hey, Tim, how are you? Just great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Absolutely love the piece you wrote for Reason.com, which we will have linked so people can find it easily. Uh, we'll get on that. But um, it, first of all, what does this 1619 Project get right, do you think? Or oh, well, You go ahead. You know, I'm glad you started with that because I think it's important to say that a lot of this stuff is very good. A lot of these articles um, really un, really cover an area of history that, to be frank, I think many white Americans are completely ignorant of. I think, in my ex- anecdotal experience, white Americans are largely not very aware of the history of slavery and are almost totally ignorant of what came after that, which was the virtual re-enslavement of the South in the years that followed, um, about 1876 to 1900. Right, and I would argue that that, well. that people are also woefully ignorant of the fight to end slavery and how that worked. But anyway. That's exactly right, and that's the real shortcoming of the 1619 articles, is that it fails to address that, and it takes for granted this narrative that America was founded as a white supremacist nation, that slavery was protected in the Constitution, that this was the plan all along, that when the Founding Fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, they did not mean all men are created equal when they wrote all men are created equal, that what they really meant was all white men are created equal. And that myth is taken as a, as a given assumption by these, the articles in this series. And that's, that's really objectionable. It's, it's not true as a factual matter, and it has a really deleterious effect on how people think about the United States. It, it, it would be far more accurate to say that America's real founding isn't slavery, but the abolition of slavery. That the Constitution of the United States as we know it today has a lot more in common with what happened in 1865 than with what happened in 1776. And the, the articles totally ignore that. And they totally ignore the efforts of political leaders in the 1830s to, to, to the beginning of the Civil War to fight back against the rise of white supremacist thinking, which did not happen at the founding, but happened with the generation that came after the founding. They were the ones who created this myth that the Constitution is only for white people. Right. That was a white supremacist notion that a lot of people fought against. I love the point you make about the white men who wrote the Declaration of Independence, Adams, uh, Madison, Washington, and Jefferson, slaveholders both, um, that when they wrote that document and the Constitution, what did they think that meant for slavery? Yeah, well, they meant they knew that it meant that slavery was inconsistent with their principles and could not be justified. And they said so. You know, to be frank, it's always mystified me that Jefferson takes so much flack on the issue of slavery when Jefferson at least risked his political career on several occasions because he spoke out against slavery. Now, did he do enough? Of course not. But in his own day, he was radical enough on the issue of slavery that he got beat down for it on multiple occasions and eventually gave it up because he knew that it was accomplishing nothing in his uh, in in the direction of of eliminating slavery. Now, maybe that was the wrong choice, but I think it's only fair to give Jefferson credit for having spoken out and said slavery was evil and could not be reconciled with the with the Declaration of Independence. And so did the others. 
and you know, the, to me, the really pivotal figure here, who again goes completely unmentioned in the Times article, is a series of articles, is John Quincy Adams, John Adams' son. John Quincy Adams was one of the greatest men in American history. He knew all of the founding fathers personally, and he was more or less the godfather of the anti-slavery movement in this country. He was his proteges were the were the guys who grew up to lead the anti-slavery movement. And John Quincy Adams was, was under no illusions about the founding. He said the founding fathers were anti-slavery. They said so. They said slavery was inconsistent. Now, they didn't do enough about it. They didn't, under, they didn't figure out a plan of how to eliminate slavery. But the idea that they, thought, that they thought slavery was a good thing is just a lie. And unfortunately, it's taken as, as a granted assumption by many people on the left, and it appears by the New York Times. What do you think the danger is of either understudying the role of slavery in our history or or taking it on the way the New York Times is? What are the, the two um, danger zones on either side? Knowing too little about slavery, I think, leads to this mythology um, in two ways. One is the, there's this romanticist idea that slavery wasn't so bad, which is is revolting. But I think that there are still quite a lot of people who, who buy into this sort of gone-with-the-wind picture that uh, that really needs to be abolished. And the second thing is that it, it then you don't understand what came afterwards, which was that at, in 1876, a decade after the Civil War, the the northern political leaders decided to stop protecting civil rights in the South, and they withdrew American uh, the, the American army that had been stationed in the southern states to protect the freedmen against terrorist groups. And as a result, the South was condemned to another century of slavery. Incidentally, this is precisely the same argument that's going on right now with regard to Afghanistan, is that voters are tired of the effort of protecting a a vulnerable class against terrorist groups. And their attitude is, well, let's just take our guns and go home. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, we have to be clear eyed about the fact that that's going to condemn those people to at least another century of terrorist enslavement. Now, to, to me, the, uh, another really objectionable part is to, to look at the history of the nation as a whole rather than going state by state. And this is important for California because, you know, California, the, the arguments in the 1619 Project, is uh, basically it's trying to say that great American industries today are rooted in slavery and therefore that, it, that America's industrial and technological progress is at bottom based on slavery. Now, whatever you think about that, it's not true of California. California didn't have massive black manned enslaved plantations like the old South did. If anything, California's industry is rooted on the exploitation of Chinese labor. The Chinese coolie system that built the railroads and manned the farms in the 19th century, none of that goes mentioned in the Times article. And although Chinese coolie labor wasn't as bad as slavery, nothing was as bad as slavery, it's the closest thing California ever had to slavery. And California is the most agriculturally productive state in the union. So if you're going to talk about this argument that somehow today's industry is rooted on slavery, you can't ignore the the abuses that the Chinese suffered in California history, and yet the articles com- are completely silent about that, and, and ignore other ethnic groups also, as if it's all just black versus white throughout American history. Tim Lawyer Sandifer, Tim Sandifer from the Goldwater Institute, has written a, a terrific piece refuting the premise that this country is based on slavery. Um, and, and we're discussing that in, uh, allied, uh, questions.
We're going to take a quick break, Tim, with your permission, and come back and chat some more. Be prepared. I want to ask you about what you think about reparations, because I think the whole New York, sure. the New York Times is trying to set up the presidential election to Absolutely. be a lot about race, and a lot of the candidates are for reparations, and I just think that, that division well, and they conversation. they say they are. <laughs> All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we're talking about this 1619 project in the New York Times, which is all about um, uh, discussing the role of slavery in the United States and uh, to many people's minds, really, really overstating it. And what they're really up to is they're trying to uh, set up the 2020 election as being all about the racist Trump and his racist followers. Right against everybody else that is uh, standing up for what is good and, and beautiful in the world. Right, and th- that th- there ends any discussion of Trump in this topic. I mean, because this is not about Trump. We're talking with Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, as we've called him for years, as he started as a caller on this show. But uh, quoting from his own article today in uh, uh, Reason at Reason dot com, where the sixteen nineteen articles go wrong is in a persistent and off key theme: an effort to prove that slavery is quote the country's very origin. And the source of, quote, nearly everything that is truly made America exceptional. Slavery is the source of nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional. That's a hell of a statement. Great, Scott. Your reactor, uh, your reaction, Tim. Well, I think it's, for one thing, it's incredibly vulgar and materialistic to say that what makes America great is its wealth. What makes great America great is the principle that all men are created equal in the Declaration of Independence. And the authors of that document understood at the time that it was incompatible with slavery. And it's been the efforts of Americans ever since to make that truth more real in the lives of America, first by abolishing slavery and then through the civil rights movements and so forth. That's the true source of American greatness. And if it had not accomplished a dime for America, it would still make it the the greatest country to have been created, precisely because it's a matter of principle. And the people who understood that were people like Abraham Lincoln or John Quincy Adams or Frederick Douglass or Charles Sumner, who was nearly assassinated in the U.S. Senate for denouncing white supremacy. I mean, these people... Uh, their efforts go almost completely unmentioned in the Times articles, as if it was just a matter of course that America is rooted in slavery, was premised on slavery, that the color line was written into the Constitution, when in fact the Constitution doesn't even use the word slavery and provided no legal protections for slavery whatsoever. Right. There's so many aspects to this. I'm trying to decide which to go off on. One thing that's always bothered me about the uh, self-flagellation over slavery, which is, of course, just anathema. It's it's horrific. It's indefensible and unforgivable. But the idea that it's a uniquely American problem, slavery is universal, has been universal. Every continent on Earth, practically every country, um, and and continues today. Yeah, um, and persists today. That's yeah, right. yeah. So I and, just and those things go unmentioned by in all of these debates. And the the reason why is because, as as Jack mentioned, the sixteen nineteen project 
is only partly about history. It's also really being used for political purposes and that slavery discussions in the United States are so frequently used instrumentally, not to actually talk about slavery, but in order to advocate some contemporary project to redistribute wealth and in the 1619 Project's case to attack capitalism itself, when in fact it was capitalism that destroyed slavery. And it was uh, and it was slavery's defenders who fashioned the arguments against capitalism that are still being used today. The idea that it's too individualistic, that it's based on greed, et cetera, et cetera. All those arguments were created by slavery's defenders, and they're trotted out today as if by, by historians or pseudo-historians who try to argue that slavery is somehow a form of capitalism. That's fascinating. Not only not only insane, but even Karl Marx didn't think that slavery was a form of capitalism. That is fascinating. Yeah, it it really is. So, uh, speaking of uh, redistribution of wealth, it's my personal belief that there are uh, almost no politicians with two brain cells to rub together that actually think reparations ought to happen. But what's your answer to the idea of reparations? I'm, I'm in, I favor reparations to any person who is actually a slave. Um, with regard to those who are descendants of slaves, uh, no, of course not. I, I, the idea that, for one thing, not only does that inflict injuries and injustices on people who are not responsible for those crimes, but it, it fosters this bizarre idea that slavery could be wiped out by a single act, that the legacy of slavery could be wiped out by a single act. And, and so history is way too messy for that. This, the idea that slavery could be somehow resolved through reparations leads to the idea that you could pass a law through Congress today to re- redistribute wealth, and then there you go, slavery's over, we never have to hear about it again. Well, that's crazy. Uh, sla- if the legacy of slavery has inflicted so many harms on so many people, then the only way to resolve it is on an individual case-by-case basis over the long haul by treating people justly today not by taking wealth from the descendants of people whose ancestors came to this this country after the civil war and and giving it, and and who themselves suffered discrimination and and violence and giving it to other descendants of people whose ancestors were brought here against their will and and forced into slavery that that sort of of intergenerational uh redistribution or intergenerational resentment is a recipe for political disaster in the long run. We know that because we've seen it happen time and time again in countries around the world. Tim, you've been incredibly fair on this topic. I think anybody who reads your article at Reason.com, which we'll link at armstrongandgetty.com as soon as it comes out, um, uh, you've been fair and you point out you know, the flaws in, 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 our, in our past. But f- for a, a black child born today, how much are they facing um, you know, leftover bad stuff from slavery that that is in their face as, as, as an oppositional force to being successful well there's i would say there's two answers to that i think the i think for us in some ways the answer is it's pervasive and it's pervasive largely through white ignorance of slavery's legacy and and the reality of slavery the the fact that for a lot of white americans their knowledge of slavery comes from watching gone with the wind and roots um and so as a result, they don't really understand the, the, the effects it had. And so that is going to haunt the life of any black child in the country. The second answer is that it's, it depends on the, on the child. It depends on its family circumstances, where he's born, what the socioeconomic status of that child is, because it's an, it has to be looked at as an individual case-by-case basis. And obviously, I could not presume 
to say what any individual black American's life is like. Nobody could. Right. And it's it, it, one of the problems with approaching the issue of slavery in the way the Times does is that it takes that attitude, that you can look at it in broad terms like that. Tim Sandifer is the vice president for litigation, Goldwater Institute, uh, uh, the, the author of the absolutely fantastic Frederick Douglass Self-Made Man and a brand new tome that we'll be uh, talking to Tim about in a few days. Uh, Tim, we sure appreciate the time. We'll make sure everybody reads the uh, great piece you wrote for reason. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Tell me you'll hear a better, fair and balanced, to borrow a term, conversation about that topic than that. Anywhere. You, you will not, sir. You will not. You will not. Marshall's News is next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Enjoyed our conversation with Tim the Lawyer, who was called a national asset by George Will on our show a couple of weeks ago. I've been called an ass, but never an asset. National asshat. And in the sort of jarring transition that we're famous for, we go from that thorny, high-level, graduate-level conversation to the latest lineup of Dancing with the Stars is out. Oh, boy. we got that coming up for you. Plus, and some of the names are pretty fun. We can spin the wheel of Florida Man stories this morning, too. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good one. You in the mood for a uh, botched castration? Or a... Uh, not particularly, no. <laughs> really, or no. a bizarre animal attack. <laughs> Did we post that video of the woman who falls off the roof, lands on the skateboard, and then her boyfriend or husband flips her well, off, and I then they show the pig? Don't even, don't even <laughs> try to describe it. Well, I'm just trying... Right, you know what? I'm going to retweet it right now. Okay. It's okay. my favorite thing ever. Your favorite thing ever. Birds of my children, they're good. That was nice. Yeah. This video... Better. <laughs> it's something. I'm going to retweet it. it right now. I Listen, I, I'm going to oversell it. I saw it, and I laughed, and I laughed, and I laughed. Then I went to show it to my wife and explain to her why I was laughing so much, and I laughed till I cried. It is brilliant. It's art. It is art. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, President Trump was talking about a lot of things, letting everybody know he's keeping an eye on the economy, saying he believes the U.S. is very far from a recession. I think the word recession is a word that's inappropriate because it's just a word that the, uh, the certain people, I'm going to be kind, certain people in the media are trying to build up because they'd love to see a recession. But Trump also acknowledged Tuesday he's considering a temporary cut in payroll taxes. Payroll tax is something that we think about, and a lot of people would like to see that, and that very much affects the working, the workers of, of our country. And the president's been continuing his attacks on the Federal Reserve and said if it would do its job, the economy would, quote, see growth like never before. Weighing in on the recession talk. I wonder if he's just floating that payroll tax cut in the way that he floats things all the time and then you never hear about him again, or if that's a serious move that will happen right. in an election season. You know, the media is making a great deal of uh, you know, making a great ado about the contrast between the president saying the economy's great, it's fabulous, stop this uh, recession talk, but we should cut interest rates and we're probably going to cut taxes and the rest of it. And it is an interesting contrast. It's yeah. just it's the election cycle, everybody going wild, and and everybody knows the economy is a big factor in the, the re-election. If but, not the factor. Uh, right, yeah. I, honestly, I think the government just needs to get out of the way more. We don't need to cut interest rates down to the bone when we're experiencing 
great economic growth. Right. I disagree with the president, but yep. he's up against, and as usual, you know, there's things he does I don't like, and they're strange, and the rest of it, but you have practically in lockstep the entire American media complex preaching that there's going to be a recession, and we should all brace ourselves for it, when there's just, I mean, yeah, maybe, and so what? Meanwhile, I mean, everybody doesn't, like, lose their fingers in a recession or experience terrible eye pain or one child is harvested from each family. I mean, it's unpleasant, but once you've lived through several of them, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's also part of life. It's like, you know, you get sick sometimes. Right. It's It's just part of what happens. Meanwhile, the people in Denmark, surprised and angry and lashing out now that President Trump is canceling a state visit two weeks from now. Wars have started for less. On Tuesday, Trump tweeted that he was canceling his visit because Denmark is refusing to sell Greenland to us. Selfishness. That's why we're going to take it. The world's You big... had the option to sell it. Now right. we're taking it. They you got nothing for it. On the deal that we proposed. And, and they didn't exactly agree, but they should have. Denmark's queen. Keep in Greenland. Denmark in spite a... of our rights. Did you just start a sentence with Denmark's queen? Yes, I did. Denmark has a queen. Denmark has a queen. queen indeed. She's, oh, the one, she's the one who extended the invitation to Mr. Trump. The Royal Communication, the Royal House's communications director said the cancellation came indeed as a surprise and, quote, that's all we have to say about that. Now, a country that still has a queen, you got to take their uh, their land from them. Sure. Right, come well, come on. The days of kings and queens, right? Yeah. That's the age of conquest. People snatch up each other's land if they could by force of arms. You still got a queen? We're going to kick it monarchy style. All right? Now give us Greenland. (laughs) On another front, China is threatening to sanction firms involved in the sale between U.S. and Taiwan. The Trump administration formally approving a major $8 billion arms sale to Taiwan. The deal coming as ties between Washington and Beijing are already strained by the multi-billion dollar trade war that's going on. The new weaponry which we are going to sell the Taiwanese includes a number of fighter jets that will particularly enhance Taipei's ability to carry out military operations in and around the area. The uh, people, uh, the uh, mainland Chinese, very upset yeah, about sh- this deal. I'm sure. That's yeah, something. Th- things yeah. are not getting more friendly with the communist behemoth. No, I was going to mention Mitch China. McConnell. You may know Mitch McConnell. Oh, yep. Oh, that's me. Oh, yep. The, uh, the, the leader of the Senate, Republican, he's got an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal today about China and how the world's got to wake up to the threat of China, basically is what he's saying. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, we do. All right, now we've got a very, very important 2020 Armstrong and Getty Democratic political campaign update for you at this moment. Oh, well, that reminds me, we got a Joe Biden gaffe. Maybe we'll get to that after the commercial break. Gaffe alert! Gaffe alert! Oh, <laughs> Governor Jay Inslee's campaign... Wait a minute! Wait a minute, that's my guy! Jay Inslee? Jay yes. Inslee. Which one, which one is he? Gumber, Washington. Yeah. He's the, the one oh. you never see or hear from. He's the all climate change, all all climate change right. guy. Wore right. the fake the, the fake glasses on the second debate. <laughs> right. When he went full Clark Kent. <laughs> nice. 
Inslee's campaign for the presidential nomination will be or is about to fizzle out. Inslee is outslee. It's yes. about to fizzle out? I think his, it kind of started with a fizzle. His campaign. <laughs> when from did there. it fizzle in? <laughs> his campaign, though, has reached its 130,000 donor threshold, but it has not yet reached 2% support in any of the qualifying polls. Has it even reached 1% support? I don't think it has. Yep. Um, you know, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He's a guy who knew he wasn't going to be president, but he wanted... He wanted to talk about climate change, no matter what you ask about, yep. to get that conversation out there. Which you know, I can I can respect that. And angling for maybe deputy of you know environmental something if, right. if one of right. the Dems wins. Uh, he like could that. end up at the EPA yeah. if the Dems win or, or something like that. Yeah. There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Or you know, frankly, given the uh, super progressive politics of urban Washington State. He's reestablishing his bona fides as a uh, crusader for what those blue voters believe in. When's the debate? It's the end of August, which is next week. So I assume the debate's next week. Um, uh, this could be pretty exciting because you really are getting all the, the heavy hitters on one stage and you won't, you won't have an hour's worth of conversation right. being one percenters or less. Yeah, the, deb- time. the debate's going to be August 28th. Okay, so it's, it's Wednesday. Yep. Uh, point of order, do we have any news on Marianne Williams? Is that her name, Williamson? Williamson. Williamson. She's not going to make it? She's not at 2% yet. Her, na- her name's not on the list yet. Oh, right. no, no. We slam it like nobody's business. Slam it. She's not slamming it. We can't get to Something's got to be well, done. Things are getting serious. We're getting yeah. serious. She's got to we- be in. How about her, her, peace, her Department of Peace? It's going to be a, a counterweight to West Point. She's going to have an Academy of Peace. I don't think you understand. There are only 24 weeks before the Iowa caucuses. It's time to get serious and narrow the field. <sighs> Only 24 weeks. Whew, that's a long time. Sorry I said it, but there wasn't... We could start, win, and end the war with Denmark by then. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on the next season of Dancing with the Stars, which has three seasons per year? Um, uh-huh. Joe Biden with another gaffe. Why are radio people on the air? They did a poll of people on in radio, which is kind of interesting. And Larry King with his eighth divorce. No, that's very, very disappointing. All sad stories. Well, they're not. Some of them are not. I don't know what I'm saying. You got all these stories next. Whatever. Armstrong and Getty. Just like in my generation, when I got out of school, that uh, when Bobby Kennedy and Dr. King had been assassinated in, in the 70s, uh, late 70s. All right. All right. But <laughs> do, you, do you even know dates, idiot? <laughs> Joe good, Biden is a dummy. Good heckle. <laughs> dummy. Yeah, so I, I, I get the whole uh, idea of, well, Bill Maher said the other night on his show, and he, he's, he's, a, he's desperate as a uh, a guy on the left to defeat Trump he wants to win and he's saying to the media we can't lose our ass every time Joe Biden makes a gaffe <laughs> right. that's the way he talks and i do to a certain extent understand that is just the way that Biden his brain works yeah when he was indisputably sharp and and a good deal younger he said dumb stuff all the time it's just the way his brain works i i don't particularly want him to be the president but 
I don't it, think it's self-evident that he's like such a senile old no. coot that he can't be elected either. I don't think it means he doesn't know who the prime minister is currently of Great Britain right. or what year Martin Luther King was assassinated or any of that sort of stuff. Just, right. If he thought about it, he could probably get it right. Yeah. But I, yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And the president doesn't do a lot of like time travel to right wrongs, you know, get in a time machine and return to 1976 to prevent the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. So I mean, it's just it's not relevant. But really. you do wonder if he if he throws out, you know, one or two of those on a on the big national debate stage, if it were just him and Trump, what that would look it like, sound like. It won't help. No, it wouldn't. It won't help. And remember, you need not turn a vote from one person to another if you merely depress enthusiasm yeah. Oh, and, yeah and therefore turnout it can do damage and you know and, and by the way trump said that thing about jews maybe you've heard it that jews who vote democrats are either ignorant or disloyal it wasn't clear disloyal to what N- international judum or what it's it it a silly thing to say i know what he was driving at but he put it badly as usual and you got biden doing this can we stop going nuts over everybody who says something somewhat dumb arguing bitterly on cable news for 36 hours about it then never thinking about it again having pretended it was the most important thing in the world 440 days till the election that's a year and a half so Keep that in mind whenever you're discussing these daily dust-ups between Biden and Trump. Well, everybody right. everybody right. out there. I'm discussing the dust-ups. Right. Oh, yeah. No, yes. I'm, talking, I'm talking to the listeners. I'm at 30,000 feet, Jack. I'm soaring above. <laughs> and just while we're on the whole presidential thing, Ted Cruz said this during the election when he was running against Trump. I don't know anyone who would be comfortable with someone who behaves this way with his finger on the button. I mean, we're able to wake up one morning and Donald, if he were president, would have nuked Denmark. <gasps> Preview. <laughs> and now, the opportunity to nuke Denmark because they will not give us Greenland! Listen, listen. Give us Greenland! Listen! <laughs> That's just crazy talk, and it's not really funny, all right? Nuking Denmark, please. We can take them out with conventional arms. You would think so. Right. Right. A few divisions of Marines. You would think. Soften them up with cruise missiles. <laughs> oh, jeez. There's no need for nukes. Soften them up. I'm a reasonable man. That's rough. So the 28th season. Take out their queen. It's like a hive of bees. I gave away a good hornets. I gave away a good trivia question. By uh, how many seasons of Dancing with the Stars has there been? 28 is coming up. Wait a minute. 28. They do several per year. Anyway, I saw Christy Brinkley is going to be on this season. They've been begging her for a long time, and she finally uh, uh, said yes because she's got a musical on Broadway, and they're trying to promote it. Yeah, she was uh, responsible for uh, many of my youthful stirrings. Wow. I don't want to hear about your youthful stirrings. <laughs> Me neither. But Christy Brinkley, yeah. I'm going what, to HR. I'll be back. And what, how? What a dish back in the day. Oh, boy. Um, also, you have a bunch of names you probably don't know, a former bachelorette and... Uh, Various people. Oh, NFL player and perhaps murderer Ray Lewis? Oh, yeah. He's going to be on Dancing with the Stars? That's fabulous. And uh, But the biggest name, perhaps, Sean Spicer. Spicy Sp- Oh, Sean Spicer! Sean Spicer. <laughs> the, Spicy the, Spicer. The, the, the president's spokesman. First spokesman for President Trump. Famous yes. for the, the crowds were the biggest ever. That whole thing. Uh, yes, he will be on Dancing with the Stars. I've come to offer an apology. From you to me! 
What's what's her name? Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy's hilarious parody of Sean Spicer. A great moment from Saturday Night Live. That's right. God dang it. He was a character, man. I hate to lose him. Hmm. And Scaramooch. He came and he went. Well, he's out. He's out now, man. He's making the rounds. He's on everything because he's bad mouthing Trump and uh, really making the rounds. So then yesterday, the Trump administration fought back with uh, saying, look, the reason he went out was he was harassing a lot of the women. And they got all kinds of quotes from various women. Yeah, saying he was going to get fired anyway because he was screaming at the guys and harassing the women. Wow. And so they're firing a a shot across (laughs) his bow. Right. You may want to shut up or we're going to bring that stuff back up again. Right. Good stuff. So they surveyed oh, man. good stuff for America. That's oh right. boy, um, they surveyed a whole bunch of people who are on the radio. Now this is all kinds of different people are on the radio, including Good Morning, <laughs> lots of disc jockeys. Yeah, listen, boys. But they just asked several thousand people across the country who are on the radio their main reasons for being on the radio, and here were their answers. One percent said it's for the sex slash relationships are on the air, <laughs> talk on the microphone, every hooking up with random listeners. You know that uh, yeah. Uh, 6% the fame, 13% the money. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. You survey most people on the air, it ain't, it ain't, they ain't doing it for the money. Yeah. If you conclude everybody across the country. You know, the economics of it, it's a lot like being an actor. A lot of people don't make any money at all. I mean, hardly any, and, and a few people do pretty well. Yeah, I always use the example of a musician, yeah. You yeah. Just, yeah. You could be the, okay, you're in. When John I hear people, Mayer's a guitar player, and so am I. Perfect example. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, a third of people say it's all about the music. That's the DJs. You got you got you're on the air because you like playing the music. That's stupid. <laughs> you can do that at home or Just in your car. at home <laughs> and get a reasonable uh, pastime or a career. Have a job that pays you more than starvation wages, which is what a lot of radio jobs pay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're doing it because all these other reasons, not the money. For most of the jobs out there. I enjoy being part of a team, says 43% of knuckleheads. Um, to connect with a lot of people. To inform. That's why we're on. To support the community. Well, that's very nice of you. Says about half of them. Yeah. Uh, it's the only thing I know how to do. Oh, there it is. Was half. <laughs> yep, right ding, there. Ding, mine. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> ring, ring, <laughs> we have a winner. If this was a TV show, we'd cut to alarms going off, Geiger County's <laughs> counters pegging. And, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's emotionally fulfilling, said 56%. I'd say it is. To entertain, 75% of people will uh, sure. do it because yeah, they want to entertain. Yeah, that's a big part of it. You're an entertainer. 50% yeah. of those people, not entertaining. Yo, yeah, at least. 50. <laughs> at least. Uh, Flip and, around uh, the dial. And 80% of us, four out of five, say we talk on the radio because it's fun. And which it is. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Do they have only one percent are doing it for the sex and relationships? Because let me tell you, that's not really a thing. <laughs> well, and it's to like, the extent it is, it's probably a bad idea. Oh, but horrible idea. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, like musicians they 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 get sex out of their job. Stand up comedians zero. I've heard so many stand up comedians talk about it. you travel around the country and do that. That's just it's not a thing. Wow. It's also that's similar huh. for radio. It's just not a thing. Never even considered it's not that part question. of the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, is there an answer? Since I was a little kid, I loved listening to the radio so much. The idea that being in it is just unbelievably cool. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to summarize any more succinctly than that, but I don't know. The little funny Indian fellow, Aziz. And sorry. Yeah. Yes. Um, That wasn't at all condescending. Go on. (laughs) Yeah. 
he he talks about that a lot in his stand-up act, and I've heard other comedians we've interviewed talk about that too. But he said people think you like you're in comedy and you get girls or whatever, and it's absolutely not true at all. Just I don't know any comedians who that happens for. <laughs> he said what I get is a bunch of guys who invite me over to their apartment to play video games. I get that all the time. Nice, but girls not so much. Yeah, that's too bad. I love as is he's in. Sorry, oh, he's even, hilarious. You know, even when I disagree with him, because you know he's he's his act has uh, ideas in it. Um, I, I always love the way he trots out his ideas, and you have to think. And he's funny as hell. <clears throat> we ought to get back to that, that bit he did about everybody's just got to express you know, their opinion on everything all the time, which I realize is somewhat ironic coming from a talk show host. But um, everybody's got to have a strong opinion online or elsewhere. Live and let live, my friends. The leader of our U.S. Senate says we need to be more worried about China on the world stage. More worried than we are about Denmark? <laughs> Among other things, on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.